We're going to continue our series in the book of Hebrews today. We'll be looking specifically at chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. You can turn there if you have a Bible. If not, that text is printed for you in the bulletin. A few years ago, I was traveling and I had a layover in the uh, airport in Charlotte. And I, I find my seat in the waiting area, uh, getting ready to get on my next flight. And I notice this person coming over and there's all this commotion around him. And people seem really excited. And, and, and he comes a little bit closer and I see more people going over to this person. And I look closely and it's Sinbad. The actor and the comedian from the Sinbad show and a, and a few other TV shows and movies. But anyways, people start noticing Sinbad, and it was mostly people in their late 30s and early, and, or and later, uh, who, who knew some of his work from back in the day. But uh, they start rushing over to see uh, Sinbad, and, and he was actually going to be getting on my flight. I thought, Sinbad's going to be on my flight. This is so cool. And so I sat there watching all these people walk over to him and start taking selfies with him and getting autographs with him. And I got to be honest, I thought for a moment, that is a great selfie with Sinbad. And I started thinking, is it okay for me just to go over there and like get a picture with him? Do I have that kind of access to Sinbad where I can just kind of come up to him and get an autograph and start taking pictures? Would that be intruding in his personal space? Is that an okay thing to do? I didn't end up doing it, but I was sitting there just wondering, do I have access to Sinbad? I wonder what you think about your access to God. Do you have access to God? Is it okay for you to be near God? Or are there things that that you bring with you that make it not okay? Would you be intruding upon him if you drew near to God? Uh, Thinking about uh, Hebrews and where we've been, you know, we don't know exactly who the specific author was, but we have some idea that those receiving this letter were Christians with a Jewish background. Uh, They'd embraced Jesus by faith, but they found themselves, in the context of this letter, uh, considering returning to their Jewish roots and neglecting Jesus and all that he had to offer. They were going to return to the life that they knew prior to Jesus. And the author writes to them with one overarching theme in this letter. He says, don't do it. Jesus is better than everything. And he says this time and again, why would you want to return to your old ways? Why would you want this when you have Jesus? And in chapter 9, as we've seen in the last few chapters, the author is going to continue with some really sharp contrasts, contrasting the way things used to be under the old covenant and the way they are now under the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And he's going to dial in this morning specifically on this idea of access. So the the question behind our text this morning is, how do we get access to God? So with that in mind, let me read Hebrews 9, 1 through 14. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place for holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. 
Above it there were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes. And he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared... As a high priest of the good things that have come, when through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and cows, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This is God's word to us. Let me pray and ask him to be with us as we think about it together this morning. Our Father, we do give you thanks for this time to gather and we thank you for your word. God, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would meet us this morning and apply it to our hearts. God, you alone know the burdens that we bring into this room, uh, the great joys, the sad things, the logistics of the week ahead. God, um, we pray that you would meet us in all of these things with your grace and speak to us this morning through your word. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I can remember uh, one afternoon in, in college, I had, I had just finished class for the day, and I went home, I was going to get a quick run in, and then go and, and study and all that, and um, it was a similar time of year, it was late fall where like good cool weather was turning into just cold weather, it's kind of in that in-between time, and so um, rule of thumb when you go out for a run is that you, you dress uh, for the weather in such a way that you'll be cold for the first 10 minutes. That way, for the majority of your run, you won't overheat. You'll, you'll be dressed properly. And so I followed this rule of thumb. Go out for the run, had a great run, come back to the house, go up to the front door, and the door was locked. No key, no phone. And so I thought, surely one of my roommates is going to come home soon. I'll be able to get inside. And so I stand there for about 10 minutes. Remember, it's cool out. And uh, my body starts to cool down. Another 20 minutes pass. And I don't really know my roommate's class schedules. I don't know when they're going to be home. And so I start to get a little desperate after around the the one hour mark. And so I look at our driveway and I see an old newspaper that had been delivered that was still rolled up in the plastic bag. And so I go and get the newspaper and I take it and I uh, lean and huddle against the front door and this brick wall next to the front door. And I begin covering myself in sheets of newspaper. Um, Newspaper is not very insulating. Uh, and so I'm just shivering, covered in newspaper. It's like 3 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. And, I, and I'm freezing outside my house. And, and eventually, 
um, I, I, you know, I have this revelation where I thought, hundreds of times I've passed through this door and not thought a thing about it. But now that I really need access inside my house, it is the only thing on my mind, and I am desperate for it. And so eventually I get desperate enough to where I begin to check all the windows to, make, to see if any of those were unlocked. I find a window in our bathroom, which happened to be right above the toilet, and I climb over the shrubs, go headfirst into the bathroom, over the toilet, and flop over onto the floor of the bathroom. And it has never felt so good to be laying on the floor of a warm bathroom like it did in that moment. Uh, The one thing I needed in that cold fall afternoon was access to my warm house. But I didn't have it. Uh, The assumption in our passage this morning is that we need access to God. It's what we were created for, to be with God or to be near God. The idea of being near to God is all over this letter to the Hebrews. But we don't have this. Why don't we have this? Well, at one point we did. In the very beginning of the scriptures, God created Adam and Eve for life with him, right? Where they could talk to him, where he even walked with them in the garden. They had this access. Then they made the choice to disobey God. Sin enters the picture, and it messes everything up. It messed up their access to God, and it messes up our access to God. Because the sin, it actually defiles us. Our sin makes us dirty. And because of that, we can't come into God's presence. Because He's not dirty, He's pure. He's holy. So we don't have access to God because of our sin. This is the occasion that this writer is speaking to this morning. The writer's going to show us this old access that God's people had under the old covenant. And then he's going to contrast that with this better access that we have in the new covenant because of Jesus Christ. So let's think about this passage under those two headings of old access and better access. So first, old access. What does the writer of Hebrews say about it? He builds this contrast and he keys in on three aspects of their worship. He keys in on the tent, on the work of the priest, and on the cleansing. The first thing he talks about is the tent. And he shows us that this old access, it required this earthly tent. And you see that in verses 1 through 5 in the passage. It gives us this brief description of this tent or tabernacle that that Jewish readers would have been very familiar with. You have this first section called the the holy place with the lampstand, the table, the bread of presence. And there's a curtain which leads into the second, second section called the most holy place. In there, it says there's a golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, the golden urn, Aaron's staff that budded, the tablets of the covenant. And this would have been loaded, loaded with meaning for this this Jewish audience, this this beautiful image for them. But in verse 5 of our text, the writer says, we're not going to go into the details of this now. Why? Because he wants to keep the focus on his main point of access to God. But he's showing us here that in order to draw near to God, to gain access to him, you had to go through this earthly tent. And one commentator looks at this tent and says essentially it was set up as a system of barriers. A system of barriers between God and his people. It showed them their need for access, but it couldn't provide it. It couldn't provide it. The old access required this earthly tent. It also required ongoing priestly work. 
ongoing priestly work. You see this in verses 6 and 7 of our passage. Verse 6 says that the priests would go regularly into this first section of the tent, the holy place. So this would be only Levitical priests. Um, they were allowed in here. They, they would do things like offer up daily offerings, um, change the oil in the lamp, uh, change the bread for the bread of presence. And this was regular, ongoing work they would do in this first section. Verse 7 describes what happens in the second section. This is for only the high priest. And this is called the most holy place. And he would do this once a year. So this is referring back to what's called the Day of Atonement. Which you can mark in your notes, Leviticus chapter 16. And go back and read through that later today. But only the high priest would do this. And he would do it once a year. And there would be this incense cloud that would shield him from the mercy seat. It was really an amazing scene. He would sprinkle it with uh, the blood of a bull and a goat. And it says that he had to bring this animal blood with him in order to cleanse himself, but also for the unintentional sins of his people. So this annual day of atonement was a huge deal under the old covenant. But it was annual work. It was ongoing um, one of the, the showers in our home, you, you can't ever really turn it off, uh, which apparently is not a good thing. Um, you have to get the, 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 the knob just in the right spot, not too tight or not too loose, or it'll be this constant drip out of the shower faucet. And, and it's gotten to where I can hear it anywhere in the house now. Uh, and so I'll probably check it a little compulsively, about three to four times a day, just to make sure it's in the right spot so it's not dripping. Uh, this work for me will be ongoing. And it will never fix the problem. The only thing that's going to fix the problem is to call someone in who knows what they're doing to get behind the wall and really fix the issue at hand. Uh, Under this old way of doing things, access to God required ongoing priestly work. Ongoing priestly work in this earthly tent. And and what what did it accomplish? What did it result in? It resulted in an incomplete cleansing. The old access resulted in incomplete cleansing. Look at verses 8 through 10. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink in various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. All right, what is he saying here? He's saying that this ongoing work in this earthly tent wasn't fixing the real problem. These gifts and sacrifices only dealt with external things, but they could not cleanse the conscience, which is what they really needed. This cleansing of their conscience. And it's what we really need. Uh, when the writer talks about our conscience, he's referring to our awareness of right and wrong as we stand before the Lord. Our awareness of right and wrong as we stand before the Lord. You've heard of the term, having a guilty conscience or a clean conscience. Think of it this way. Think of wearing a giant backpack all the time. Um, Inside that backpack is your past, your thoughts, everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done. All right, so your conscience is not the backpack itself, but it's how you categorize the right and wrong that's within that backpack. It's how you relate to what's in the backpack. And we actually have to take our backpack and sort through it as we stand before the Lord. And these backpacks render us guilty. 
and our conscience knows it. And so we need a cleansing that goes that deep. But this old way couldn't do it. It was an external cleansing, not internal. It was incomplete. And it's really important for us to see something here that this original audience was missing in this. That this earthly tent, this ongoing work of the priest, this external cleansing, it was never meant to be an end in itself. It wasn't. God gave these provisions for his people so that they would be pointed further down the road to the promised one who would come and give them that real cleansing that they needed. But they, in and of themselves, were never meant to be an end. Uh, Maybe you've tried to teach a dog to play fetch. Uh, I had a seminary professor that would use this example frequently. You know, you throw the ball, and the dog doesn't go get the ball immediately because you have to train them to do this. The dog is really excited, but you've thrown the ball, and they're not going to get it. And so you point to the ball, and you say, go get the ball, go get the ball. And now you're yelling and pointing and moving, so the dog's really excited and wagging their tail. But what happens as you're pointing to that ball down the road is they get distracted looking at your finger. And now the dog is staring at your finger, and they're really excited staring at your hand, waiting for something to happen. And meanwhile, they've totally missed the idea altogether. The Hebrews were missing the point of all of this. It was all pointing down the road to something greater. It revealed their need to be cleansed. It gave them a longing for real access to God. But in and of itself, it couldn't provide it. This is the old access. Let's look at the better access. Uh, Look back at how the writer ends verse 10. He's saying this old way of doing things would remain until the time of reformation. He's talking about when Christ would come and usher in this new covenant era, which we spoke of last week. And then look at how verse 11 begins. But when Christ appeared, he's saying Jesus has come. And now things have changed for the better. And he jumps into this beautiful description in verses 11 through 15 of how Jesus has granted us the cleansing that we need if we're going to have real access to the Father. And he does this by continuing on with day of atonement language, which these hearers would have been primed for, language they would have understood. He's saying, you really don't want to go back to that old way. Because look at how Jesus has come and fulfilled it. He's the one all these things were pointing towards. He's the one that can really give you this access that you're longing for. So I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, which is 45 minutes from uh, Lawrence, Kansas, where KU is, which is a big basketball school. Remember, uh, I'd go to about one KU basketball game a year. Uh, One year in high school with a friend, I went to the KU Wake Forest game. And... We had uh, tickets that were way up high in the nosebleeds. And so we thought, as high schoolers might be prone to think, we should go down to the floor and watch the game up close. And so we did. We uh, navigated our way down the stairs and uh, slipped behind a few security guards. And we ended up in one of the tunnels that, that looks directly out onto the court. And the difference from being up in the nosebleeds versus in that tunnel watching uh, these guys play, they seemed so much bigger and so much faster. It was so cool to see this happen on the court. And we enjoyed it for about 30 seconds until the security guard tapped us on the shoulder and asked for our tickets. And then we had to go back all the way up to the top again. Contrast that experience with a basketball game I went to in Lexington, Kentucky, at the University of Kentucky, also a great basketball town. 
a friend gave us two tickets to a home opener one year for my wife and I. And uh, we, we give our tickets to the attendant. I'm expecting this attendant to say, all right, you go inside this tunnel and go all the way up. And those will be your seats. Enjoy the game. He didn't say that. He said, all right, go in this tunnel. Go down to half court. And you're four rows up. It's so like, what? This is so cool. And so we go down and we sit four rows up, half court, and watch uh, an incredible game of basketball, which and what, what are arguably the best seats in the house. But what was the difference between those two experiences? We had legitimate tickets, right? We had the very thing we needed to get better access to the court. The writer goes on here to highlight things that Jesus does for us that we need in order to have that better access. And he continues with these contrasts. Look at this first one. It says that Jesus entered a heavenly tent rather than an earthly one. Look at verse 11. He entered a greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So remember, the Levitical priest entered this man-made tabernacle made with earthly materials that were ultimately going to wear out and have to be replaced. And it was something that was always pointing to something beyond itself. But Jesus, it says, enters the heavenly tent, goes before the very throne of his Father, into his holiness, his purity, into his presence on our behalf, and he actually goes to the place that the previous place was pointing towards. He goes into the heavenly tent. And what does he do there? He does once for all priestly work. Once for all priestly work. It's not ongoing priestly work. Look at verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So remember, the priests would go day after day and year after year, and it was never enough. Jesus goes once. And if you noticed, instead of sprinkling the blood of animals, his own blood is shed there. This is referring to his death on the cross. And what does he secure? He secures eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. It's not just for the day. It's not just for the year. It's for all eternity. So Jesus does the once for all work that that ongoing work was pointing towards. And what's the result? The result is that Jesus gives us complete cleansing. Complete cleansing. Look at verses 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The old cleansing was external and it was incomplete. The new cleansing is internal, and it's complete. It's the cleansing that, that purifies, listen to this, purifies our conscience. Those things in our backpack that condemn us, it washes that dirt away forever. And this is what's on offer to us. Simply by faith, by receiving and resting in what Jesus has done this cleansing becomes our cleansing. But this is so hard for us to grasp. 
It's so hard for us to grasp. Some of us feel like we're just too dirty to be with God. Like we're the exception to this whole thing. And other of, others of us try to clean ourselves up apart from God. All right, what if your default mode is that you're, you just feel like you're too dirty to be with God? You know, maybe you operate as though there's just this cloud that goes everywhere with you of guilt and shame. The cloud won't leave you. It lingers. And you feel it in your relationships. And you feel it at work. And you feel it in your family. And it makes you operate as though you're just damaged goods. It's all shame everywhere for you. But you don't speak of it. You try to ignore it, ignore it, but it's just always popping up everywhere. I came across a quote this week that I believe is from AA literature that says, we're only as sick as our secrets. We're only as sick as our secrets. Those things it's saying that we bottle up and we refuse to acknowledge, these are the things that really make us sick. Um, if you are, are, are one who goes through life thinking that you're too dirty to be with God, I'm sure that resonates with you, right? Because you, you feel like your secrets are just too much. It's too bad to share. It's even too bad to be honest about with yourself. If you shared it with someone else, they would leave. And surely the thinking is that God will reject you if you shared that with him. But do you know what the cleansing blood of Jesus means for you? It means that God invites you to come clean. He invites you to come clean and actually confess those sayings without being afraid of his rejection. Why? Because Jesus' blood was shed in your place for your cleansing. You really are clean in Christ. God sees you. He sees your secrets and he loves you. This passage is telling you that, that whatever it is that you've done, or whatever it is that you feel, those things are not greater and are not more powerful than the cleansing blood of Jesus. You have been purified by Christ, inside and out. All right, what if your default mode is, I, I will clean myself up apart from God? Maybe that's not an intentional thing that you say, but just functionally it ends up how you operate. And we all do this in, in many different ways. I think of, of one time Brian Habig was standing up here, one of our other pastors, and he, he, he had this image of just trying to get our hands around everything in life, that things will be okay if we can just get our hands around everything. That certainly resonates here. I'll clean myself up apart from God. It's this unending quest for control, and for self-improvement, especially in those moments where you're feeling defiled and dirty, where your anger has reared its head again, where you've acted out in lust again, where that thing you've promised to stop doing, you keep doing again, especially in those moments, we can go quickly to self-cleansing by just, if I can just get through a day of following my workout plan, staying on my financial plan to get to my goals, keep up with the diet that I'm on right now. Maybe I'll organize my closet, give a few things away, simplify my life. It's amazing, especially when we're feeling dirty, it's so tempting, without even realizing it, to go into this uber-productive, control-the-variables mode. 
which is really just a form of self-cleansing. We're trying to clean ourselves up apart from God. If this is you, this passage is telling you that your sin is actually so bad that you can't do that. It's saying that your sin is so bad that blood had to be shed, that Jesus had to die. Do you also see the freedom in that? It's not just saying that you can't self-cleanse. It's saying you don't have to. Jesus did it for you. And whichever you can relate to more, feeling too dirty for God or feeling like you have to clean yourself up, do you know what this complete cleansing in Jesus means for you? It means you can be near to God, the very thing you were created for. I put another passage in your bulletin. It's Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. This is speaking of the moment when Jesus died on the cross. Look at what it says here. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Do you know what that curtain was? That was the curtain that separated the holy place in the tabernacle from the most holy place. When Jesus died, the curtain was torn in two. And you see what this means. Because of Jesus, you now have direct access to God. You can speak directly to God. You can be near God. You can have a love relationship with the God of the universe. And you can have all this forever. It's never going to change. It's never going to go away. And this cleansing, this better access, this nearness, it totally reworks us. It makes us into new people. And the author of Hebrews kind of hits this on the end of verse 14, which I'm just going to mention it and wrap up. But it's saying that we're on a new team. Look at verse 14. Speaking of the blood of Christ, it's purified our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. To serve the living God. When we moved here a year and a half ago, day one, my middle daughter Margaret decided that she would be a Clemson fan. From zero to 100, all in, she decided she would be a Clemson fan. And from that day forward, she does what Clemson fans do. She wears orange. She loves to watch them on TV. She got to go to a game this year, which was a huge highlight. She loves seeing paws on people's cars and flags around town. She loves it. She joined Team Clemson, and now she does what Clemson fans do. Do y'all see this new team that our cleansing brings us on to? The blood of Jesus fully cleanses us. It allows us to draw near to God, and it invites us onto this new team as one of the redeemed. And now we go out as cleansed people to serve the living God. Let me pray and ask God to help us do this. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can have access to you because of Jesus. Lord, I pray especially for those who feel too dirty to draw near to you. God, may they experience in a fresh and new way how complete your cleansing of them is in Jesus. 
And Lord, for those who, like me, try to cleanse themselves again and again apart from you, would you show us the futility in this? Help us to see how bad our sin is, that we might see how necessary and great your grace to us is in Christ. Lord, would you meet us where we are with your word, that we might might know you and be near to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.